Report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. Show of support. Good afternoon. Tens of thousands have gathered on the National Mall in Washington to stand with the nation of Israel in its war with the terror group Hamas. We're going to be part of this historic moment. How significant is this moment for Jewish Americans? To be seen together, we're not intimidated, we're not scared. Jeff Levin with the Jewish Federation of America. This is going to be the largest gathering of Jews in Washington since 1987 when we rallied to free Jews in the former Soviet Union. William Deroff is organizer of today's March for Israel rally. America stands with Israel. America stands against anti-Semitism. And America demands the immediate return of our hostages. He says there's not a moral equivalency between the two sides of this war, Israel and Hamas. If you look at the barbarous murder by the Hamas terrorist army on October 7th, there's no equivocation here. There's no right and may be right. This is clearly a situation where one side is right, one side is wrong. Among the speakers at today's rally is Rabbi Mark Bloom, who says Israel is right to reject a ceasefire because it only benefits Hamas. Who doesn't support a ceasefire in peace in general? But in this particular case, a ceasefire means their ability to rearm to prepare to kill more Israelis. Another one of the speakers today is Ulana Zaychek, whose six relatives were taken hostage by Hamas on October 7th. It's indescribable, the uncertainty, the not knowing. That is so painful. The March for Israel happens at 1 p.m. on the National Mall in D.C. Meantime, in the war zone, the situation's gone from bad to worse at the largest hospital in Gaza. That hospital is unable to to treat patients due to a lack of power from weeks of war. Reporter Tina Kraus. Gaza's largest hospital pushed to the brink while caught in the crossfire of the violent conflict just outside its doors. Inside, doctors work in the dark with no power. The hospital says several patients, including some premature babies, have died, and there's a race against time to save the others. Israel insists Hamas terrorists are using the hospital as a command center. This is Hamas using hospitals as human shield, as terror machines. More from reporter Ramey Innocencio. This is a covert tunnel. Israel's military released video of what it claims is a Hamas tunnel and bunker network under a children's hospital in Gaza City. These are explosives. Showing weapons and a motorcycle used in the October 7th attack. Bullets in this motorcycle. And signs that hostages, young and old, may have been held here. Clothes and a rope. It's a baby bottle in a basement. Above ground, fierce fighting continues. The militant group says it's ready to release up to 70 women and children hostages in exchange for a five-day ceasefire. Shutdown, showdown. The clock's ticking yet again toward another government shutdown. The deadline to reach a deal is Friday. House Speaker Mike Johnson hopes his two-step laddered approach to funding the government will work. Here's reporter Chanel Call on Capitol Hill. The stopgap measure would extend funding through January 19th for agencies including transportation and housing. Other departments like defense and homeland security would be funded through February 2nd. Speaker Johnson will need the support of some Democrats if he's going to get the spending bill across the finish line. I think we'll get it done. Look, Washington is broken. The appropriations process has not worked the way it's supposed to for decades. I've been on the job for less than three
three weeks, but we're trying to fix it. Six House Republicans have already announced they will not support the spending plan, but Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is praising it. Inflation is easing a bit. It was lower last month, due in large part to a sharp drop in gas prices. Food costs, however, remain stubbornly high. The biggest shopping days of the year are coming up, but which one is the most busy? I was surprised to see that Small Business Saturday is actually likely to see more shoppers than Black Friday. I feel like we traditionally think about Black Friday as kind of being like the number one shopping day of the year. Ted Rossman at Bankrate.com. I feel like a lot of the best pricing rolled out in early October this year. Shoppers and retailers seem to be getting off to an earlier start every year. 61% of shoppers say they prefer to spend their money on Small Business Saturday. 56% are likely to shop on Black Friday. Cyber Monday beats them both. 66% of shoppers say they'll spend their money then. President Biden is on his way to San Francisco for a high-stakes meeting tomorrow with China's President Xi Jinping. The two leaders will meet on the sidelines of the 21-nation APEC summit. Correspondent Brooks Singman. Officials say President Biden will raise some, quote, potentially contentious topics with Xi. Biden is expected to bring up the Chinese spy balloon that traversed the United States earlier this year. And he's also expected to warn Xi against any election interference efforts ahead of 2024. This is President Xi's first trip to this country in more than five years. And San Francisco's been working round the clock to rid the city of homeless encampments ahead of the visit. Folks say, oh, they're just cleaning up this place because all those fancy leaders are coming into town. That's true because it's true. Anytime you put on an event, you have people over your house, you're going to clean up the house. You're going to make sure the kids you know, make their beds, you know, take the socks, you know, let's put them in the drawer. California Governor Gavin Newsom. The governor says arson's to blame for that weekend fire that forced the closure of busy Interstate 10 in downtown L.A. This weekend is shaping up to be Carmageddon. We've got the UCLA-USC game. The Kings are playing, and ironically, it's opening weekend at the L.A. Auto Show, and all of it's happening just a couple of miles from this freeway disaster. Carter Evans reporting. A bright red 1962 Ferrari 250 GTO Roadster has sold at auction for $51.7 million. It happened last night in New York. It's the second most expensive car ever sold. A Mercedes 300 SLR Coupe went for more than $140 million last year. Still to come on the Noon Report, Regents Exam Rethink. PA needs teachers, and the Buffalo Blues continues. Good afternoon. I'm Kevin Williams calling for some fairly quiet weather conditions over the next couple days and nights with a bit of a warm-up. Forecast details are up in 10. All right, Kevin, we'll see you then. Breaking news out of western New York today. Democratic State Senator Tim Kennedy is a candidate for Congress. He'll seek the seat being vacated next year by longtime Democrat Brian Higgins. The 26th Congressional District covers the city of Buffalo and the surrounding suburbs. The struggle's real for the Buffalo Bills, who lost again last night at home. A last-second field goal by the Denver Broncos. Good snap, good hold. Kick. Perfect. And the Broncos have come to Buffalo and they're going to leave with a win. 
The Bills bailed out Denver's kicker for having too many men on the field. That meant the Broncos got two tries to win the game. John Scott with Spectrum Sports. If you thought the heat was really rising around this team going into this one, boy, you best believe the alarms, the sirens, everything is going off at high capacity now after the Bills' playoff hopes hanging on by a threat. With the loss, the Bills dropped to 500 on the season. Their next game is this Sunday at home against the Jets. Two pedestrians were struck in separate incidents outside the Bills stadium last night. More on that from Family Life's Dee Haley. A 65-year-old Rochester man has died after being struck by a vehicle outside Highmark Stadium last night. Orchard Park police found the man lying in the street on Southwestern Boulevard near Abbott Road shortly after kickoff. The man was taken to the Erie County Medical Center where he later died. Police say it was a hit and run. The driver was later found in the city of Buffalo. Another man was struck by a car at the intersection of Abbott Road and Milestrip Road near the stadium. Police say the 36-year-old Buffalo man was also taken to ECMC. The man reportedly walked across the street against the crosswalk sign and into the path of an oncoming vehicle that had the right-of-way. D. Haley, Family Life News. Thank you, D. A Blue Ribbon Commission is proposing sweeping changes to high school graduation rules in New York. Regents curriculum is on the chopping block here. The most controversial reforms makes Regents' exams optional. Instead of tests, students could do a presentation or a project. For instance, a student in an automotive tech program. They could demonstrate their learning by rebuilding an engine, for instance, as opposed to taking a test that is asking them to very specific facts, right? Um, it's not about what you can memorize. It's about what you can do. Melinda Person with the New York State United Teachers Union. Rob Lowry is Deputy Director of the New York Council of School Superintendents. The commission doesn't really outline a specific approach to moving away from regents exams, but it does say that you know students should be provided with additional ways to demonstrate that they've learned what the state says a high school graduate should learn. Some on the Board of Regents say the state needs to be careful about taking testing out of the equation. No amount of good intentions will will a person into success if they haven't been prepared. Every year we've graduated young people with Regents diplomas and they go on to higher education and they don't get past the freshman year. The Board of Regents will finalize the graduation reforms next year. Pennsylvania educators met yesterday to discuss the teacher shortage crisis. Dr. Tamara Willis, superintendent of the Susquehanna School District. It is a dire need here in our region. Some have pointed to teacher salary. Some have pointed to some of the challenges that we are facing with mental health issues in classrooms across the country. To combat the shortages, Dr. Willis says her district has had to get creative to keep the pipeline of teachers flowing. Reporter Sonica Bargo with ABC 27. Willis and high school counselor Tessa Stockdale say they are finding solutions, improving the cadet teaching program, which gives high school seniors the chance to work in elementary school classrooms. They get real life hands-on experience of what a classroom teacher does. They love the teachers they're with. They love the students that they're working with. Many of those students go into teaching and then we will hire them when they return after graduation. 
Willis and Stockdale shared the program's success at a PA Needs Teacher Summit Monday. Teacher certifications in Pennsylvania have dropped by more than 12,000 the past decade. The superintendent of the Buffalo School District proposing that district buildings be turned into emergency shelters during the cold winter months. Last winter, during the week of Christmas, 50 people died in a blizzard in Buffalo. That proposed plan would require approval from the school board. A Democrat back New York group has launched a $9 million effort to get young voters to the polls. Organized New York claims to be nonpartisan, but was created by a liberal group and is working to register and mobilize the youth vote ahead of next year's elections. Data shows that the youngest voters generally lean liberal, but don't vote in high numbers. The group will focus its efforts exclusively on New York's six battleground house seats in districts that are home to major college campuses, such as Syracuse and Binghamton universities. Organized New York is one of several left efforts to help Democrats take back the House. Jeremy Miller, Family Life News. Thank you, Jeremy. Victims' rights groups are up in arms over soft-on-crime policies in Albany. New legislation would automatically grant parole hearings to inmates who are at least 55 and have served at least 15 years of their sentence. Judy Tosh says that means the man who murdered her four-year-old daughter, Kaylee, could be set free. We're talking about letting this man back out? Are you kidding me? I mean, how can society think that's okay? Because it's not. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. On May 23rd, 1994, Mark Christie abducted and murdered young Kaylee. It took two years for police to recover her body. If these bail reforms are enacted, Mark Christie could go free. State Senator Pam Helmy. We're here to voice our strong opposition to yet another what I call and consider a pro-criminal Albany policy, a policy intended to give all incarcerated individuals, without exception and without regard for the crimes they committed, the opportunity for release. The early release legislation sponsored by Democrat Brad Hoyleman Siegel. The data shows that long prison sentences without a meaningful chance for parole don't keep anyone safe or deter Crime. New York Senate Minority Leader Rob Orr. What problem are we solving by making parole eligible 55 and up, regardless of the crime? Who are we working for on this legislation? The elder parole bill would not guarantee early release, but it would give criminals, regardless of their crime, a chance at freedom. Well, don't look now, but gas prices are on the decline. The national average for a regular unleaded three thirty-six a gallon. That's six cents lower from last week. In New York, the price at the pump is five cents lower than a week ago, averaging three sixty-five right now. Pennsylvania motorists are paying paying about a nickel less on average for gasoline. NASA is sending scientists to western New York for next year's once-in-a-lifetime solar eclipse. There won't be another like it for another 375 years. This is a once-in-a-generation event. It is beautiful. This is going to be an incredible experience. Beginning four days before the April 8th event, NASA will be in multiple cities in western New York offering free exhibits. Buffalo, Niagara Falls, as well as Erie, Pennsylvania, are all in the path of totality. That eclipse starts at 2.04 p.m. on April 8, 2024, with the blackout happening at 3.18 in the afternoon. It'll only last about three and a half minutes, so make sure you don't miss it. Well, let's not miss sports next, either. It's our daily edition of the two-minute drill on the Family Life Noon Report. <laughs> 
Good afternoon. I'm Randy Snavely. Bob, you could call last night's Bills-Broncos game a comedy of errors on Buffalo's part when Will Lutz missed a 41-yard field goal with four seconds to play. For a few seconds, I was in disbelief that the Bills had won the game 22-21. But then we learned Buffalo had 12 men on the field, so Lutz got another chance, this time from 36 yards out. And he did not miss. The Broncos won at 24-22. It almost seemed fitting that the Bills were flagged for a dumb penalty at the end of the game. Seems like they made dumb plays and poor decisions throughout this contest, turning the ball over four times. Josh Allen has to make better decisions. The coaching staff has to make better decisions. And the team as a whole has to play better. Our Buffalo, now at 5-5 five and five on the season, won't even make the playoffs. Let's talk basketball. In Boston, the Knicks were only down three early in the fourth quarter when Jason Tatum got hot for the Celtics. He scored 17 of his 35 points in that last quarter, and the Seas pulled away for a 114-98 victory. Toronto knocked off the Wizards 111-107. The Bucks beat the Bulls 118-109. The Cavs fell to the Kings 132-120. On the ice, the Oilers broke open a tie game in the third period, scoring three times. They beat the Islanders 4-1, and the Avs were 5-1 winners over the Kraken. Baseball. Rookies of the Year were announced yesterday, winning the awards. D-backs outfielder Corbin Carroll and Orioles shortstop Gunnar Henderson. The vote was unanimous for both players. That is a look at sports. All right, they had great years. Thank you, Randy. Still to come on the Noon Report Rally for Israel. L.A. Freeway Fire and Congress Plays Let's Make a Deal. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. With the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. In his book, Doubts About Darwin, A History of Intelligent Design, Thomas Woodward described how early detractors from Darwin's theory criticized the way it personified nature. After all, according to Darwin, quote, the origin of species, which was the title of his book, occurred by means of natural selection. But who did the selecting? Somehow, nature. Darwin's argument relied on an analogy between animal husbandry and what nature does when she, quote-unquote, selects only the fittest to survive, thus driving the evolutionary process. However, this analogy conflated the intentionality behind human breeders with natural processes, implying that nature has a will and a purpose and is trying to get somewhere, which is precisely the sort of intelligent causation that Darwinism supposedly refutes. Yet there are even bigger gaps in the Darwinian view of nature. The most daunting is how an intention-free universe made the leap from non-living matter to living things in the first place. What if, instead of a process limited only to biology, Darwinian evolution was promoted to a fundamental law that governs all physical reality? Well, that's exactly what some scientists have tried to assert, most recently in a much-heralded paper that was published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. Lead author Robert Hazen of the Carnegie Institution for Science explains, quote, We see evolution as a universal process that applies to numerous systems, both living and non-living, that increase in diversity and patterning throughout time, end quote. In other words, everything evolves in a Darwinian manner, including, and I quote here again, atoms, minerals, planetary atmospheres, planets, stars, and more, end quote. Well, how is that possible? According to the paper's nine authors, non-living systems evolve toward greater complexity if they are, first, 
formed from many different components, such as atoms, molecules, or cells that can be rearranged. Second, are subject to natural processes that cause different arrangements to be formed. And third, if only a small fraction of all these configurations survives or is so-called selected for function. Non-living things, by definition, don't survive, which is the function nature supposedly selects for in biological evolution. So what function could nature possibly select in an atom or a galaxy? Well, believe it or not, these authors argue that existence itself is a kind of function, that systems tend to go on existing because they were selected by nature, and that we know this, in part, because those systems do, in fact, exist. Well, writing at Evolution News, intelligent design advocate David Coppage points out the flagrant personification happening here. Nature prefers functional configurations? Nature does no such thing. Because at least according to naturalism, nature has no goal, nor any notion of function. In reality, the attempt to Darwinize the entire universe, as Coppage put it, is little more than a roundabout way of admitting how well-designed the universe is and trying to come up with a force that allowed it to design itself. Set aside this circular reasoning for a moment and just ask the real question. If there is a law like this, where did it come from? Who's the lawgiver? See, this theory gets us no closer to explaining the complexity, the function, the purpose, the design, or the beauty that we see in the universe, if not the handiwork of a creator. Does nature have a preference for the kind of universe we have? Maybe so. But if she does, well, then that preference itself needs an explanation. Scientists trying to turn evolution into a theory of everything might expect nature to answer, I am who I am. But there's only one, capital O, who can truly say that. Why not just give him credit for a change? For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. All right, next we go outside, Kevin Williams. Here is your Family Life Regional weather forecast for this afternoon. A fair amount of sunshine ultimately in much of Pennsylvania and southwestern New York. Clouds will be more stubborn in central New York, but they'll be breaking. High temperatures in the 40s to near 50. Then tonight, partly cloudy, low temps, mid-20s to mid-30s tomorrow. And for that matter, Thursday, a fair amount of sunshine turning milder. High temperatures tomorrow in the 50s, nearing 60 on Thursday. Thank you very much, Kevin. This is the Noon Report. I'm your host, Bob Price. Here's what's happening Tuesday, the 14th of November. Tens of thousands have gathered on the National Mall in Washington to show support for the state of Israel. Eric Fingerhunt is with the Jewish Federation of North America. We're going to come to the most visible place in the United States of America, the National Mall, between the Capitol and the White House, uh, and we're going to stand together. The rally starts at 1 p.m. William Derhoff helped organize it. So I know that many, many in Israel will be watching, and they will be, I'm sure, comforted by the fact that there will be tens and tens and thousands of Americans who will be marching uh, in support of Israel, who will be marching in support of the freeing of the hostages, and will be marching to push back on this tsunami of anti-Semitism that has erupted in the U.S. and across the world. Meantime, in the war zone, the largest hospital in the Gaza Strip is now unable to care for patients because of a lack of electricity. The BBC's Tom Bateman. Premature babies are being treated without the incubators they need, so the health concerns remain very grave. The Israeli military calls that hospital a hideout for Hamas. Correspondent Deborah Pattis says talks continue to try and secure the release of some of the hostages. They may release 70 women and children in exchange for a five-day truce. But where exactly those negotiations are at present is difficult to know. Congress racing against the clock to avoid another government shutdown. House Speaker Mike Johnson says his two-part laddered approach toward funding the government is necessary to get that proverbial ball across the goal.
goal line. What it will do is it will prevent the dreaded Christmas omnibus spending bill, where thousands of pages are hoisted upon the members at the last moment before they leave for Christmas, and we have to vote, for example, like last year, on $1.7 trillion in spending all lumped in together. That is no way to run a railroad. The deadline to reach a deal is Friday, a weekend fire that closed a major interstate through downtown L.A. may not have been an accident. California Governor Gavin Newsom is blaming arson for a fire that has shut down the busy Interstate 10 in Los Angeles. There was malice intent. This fire was set intentionally. The fire left 100 columns damaged, he says, with guardrails twisted and blackened. The freeway is used by 300,000 vehicles daily, and there's no word on when it might reopen. Matt Piper with that report. And this is the Noon Report, a Tuesday edition on Family Life. Welcome back to another edition of Hometown Heroes on Family Life. This week's guest is Pastor Eric Johns of the Buffalo Dream Center, who's been bringing attention to the city's homeless population for 25 years by joining them on the streets for a week. In part two, he recounts how that program took off. It's just started to catch on, and I've got to turn people down that want to come with me because I'll have too many people out with me, but lots of pastors and leaders and church members and young people from my church. And uh, since this is my first final year doing it. I've got a couple of guys who've moved away that live in different states, pastors, guys I know from the ministry who are coming back this year just to be with me again on my final year. It's got to be gratifying for you too to have your sons take that baton from your hand and keep this going. Oh yeah, I got five kids and um, all of them are grown up now and I have seven grandchildren and, and an eighth one on the way and um, all my kids are involved in our ministry. That to me is a huge, huge blessing. And uh, I think part of the reason is because I never treated it like my ministry, my thing, and my kids weren't involved. They were involved with everything that we did. We did a lot of inner city ministry to kids. And so it was a natural thing for them to be involved with. But they'd always been involved since they were little, feeding people, helping people, reaching out to the homeless. And so it was just a natural thing for them to want to do what I had been doing all those years and want to be a part of it. And so now my boys who are both on staff at the Dream Center uh, doing different things in the ministry really want to take the baton and do it. And I, and I told them they don't have to. You know, I said, maybe this is more my thing and not your thing, but they're really excited to do it. And uh, for the past four years or so, they've been going out with me when I do it and learning the ropes about it. And so I think they'll do great. <laughs> it's a wonderful tradition. This is the kickoff for Boxes of Love. Tell me about that program and its impact. Yeah, when uh, we began it 25 years ago, and we helped 200 kids with some toys and it's just grown to impact like thousands of people during the month of December, we usually have more than a thousand volunteers come through the Buffalo Dream Center and we spend all month long, actually we start at the end of November, we spend uh, that time packing bags of food. We're going to pack 3,500 bags of food this year that are going to um, be loaded on trucks and taken into neighborhoods. So people aren't going to come to the Dream Center for the food. We're going into targeted neighborhoods throughout Buffalo, Niagara Falls, and um, we're helping some churches as far as way as uh, Pittsburgh, uh, Pennsylvania, that are feeding their communities. And uh, we're bringing the food right into the neighborhoods. And we advertise in the neighborhoods. They know we're coming. And so we're going to be able to help a lot of people that way by making the, the food distribution more mobile in different neighborhoods. And on top of that, we also wrap gifts for kids. So we already started at the beginning of October registering kids for toys. So we're going to probably wrap between 4,000, 
thousand toys this year. They're going to go to families that are in need, and so it's just a great opportunity to really bless our city, help families that are in need, and at the same time show the love of Jesus. And it's really a an awesome thing for families to volunteer for. It's it's really family friendly. So we have church groups and youth groups and businesses, and people bring their families to pack bags and wrap the gifts, or to be at the distribution sites and passing them out and distributing them. And this year we're bringing the whole boxes of love to Honduras as well, which we have a ministry there. And um, we're going to give gifts to almost 2,000 kids in the Tulipan Indian tribe, which is an unreached tribe that lives on a mountain in Honduras. We've been reaching out to them for the past 10 years. So we decided it was time to bring boxes of love there. So anybody can get involved. Anybody can give, can volunteer. And it's all completely run by volunteers. And uh, so we need people that would give financially and also that would uh, just, you know, take a day and come and wrap gifts or help us give it away to the people. The easiest way to get involved is to go to our website, which is buffalodreamcenter.org. And uh, when you go to the homepage of our website, um, everything is right there. The days and times to volunteer, you can give financially on there. And also, if you're in need, you need toys for your kids, you can register your kids right on there as well. Buffalodreamcenter.org. All that from 25 years ago, going out in the street for a few nights. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea 25 years ago when we, our little church of probably less than 50 people at the time, we thought it was a huge accomplishment to give gifts to 200 kids and how God would just take that and multiply it. We're just happy to be a part of it and to be able to see the lives of people touched. You know, the, the greatest thing about the whole deal is just being there and seeing a, a mom or a grandmother who's in line with their kids and the smiles on their faces and the thanks that they give you when they give you a hug and thank you for what you're doing. It's just a great opportunity to really show the love of Jesus to the, our whole city. We're happy to be a part of what God is doing. That's Pastor Eric Johns of the Buffalo Dream Center, helping and bringing attention to the city's homeless population for 25 years. Join us again next time as we search for your home, your town, your hero. It's Hometown Heroes on Family Life. Thank you, Mark, and what an amazing man, Eric Johns. We're going to miss him on the streets next year. He's been doing it for a quarter century. Well done, my friend. Hometown Heroes comes your way every Tuesday during the Noon Report or anytime online at FamilyLife.org. Good afternoon. Here is your Family Life regional weather forecast. A chilly air mass is in play now, but a shift in the steering currents at the upper levels of the atmosphere will allow milder air to move in and drier air as well. The result, a couple of nice days are coming up Wednesday and Thursday. Even for this afternoon, a fair amount of sunshine ultimately in much of Pennsylvania and southwestern New York. Clouds will be more stubborn in central New York, but they'll be breaking. High temperatures in the 40s to near 50. Then tonight, partly cloudy, low temps, mid-20s to mid-30s tomorrow. And for that matter, Thursday, a fair amount of sunshine turning milder. High temperatures tomorrow in the 50s, nearing 60 on Thursday. We'll take it. Thank you, Kevin. Finally at noon, if you're a burger fan, and let's face it, who's not? There's a new website that's found the best of the best in New York and Pennsylvania. Family Life's Brian Query. Sometimes the most unassuming food places hold the biggest delicious secrets. Website Cheapism combined interviews, online reviews, and personal experiences all to identify those top hole-in-the-wall burger joints 
seats in every state. In New York, their pick was Village Diner in Johnson City, upstate, a small two-room diner where beef is ground daily. And in Pennsylvania, the pick was Tony's Lunch in Girardville, west of Allentown, where a small griddled burger called the Fluff Burger is topped with onions, butter, spicy chili paste, and a dollop of marshmallow fluff. These burger spots might not be the prettiest or most glamorous, but you're going to get an amazing, inexpensive burger that's well done every time. Brian Query, Family Life News. All right, we can disagree over that uh, well done or medium rare, but uh, there you have it. The best of the best in the world of burgers. Thank you, Brian. And that's the world we live in. Tuesday, November 14th. I'm Bob Price. Family Life News. You've been listening to the Noon Report. Heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening. Thank you.